and welcome to another inspiring podcast from C3 New Hope. For more information about our church and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au. So we're in our next uh, segment, I guess, or next part of our series on the book of John. So we're going to look at John, we're going to be in John chapter 5 today. So, uh, so we're slowly but surely working our way through over the coming weeks and we're going to be looking at lots of different things and we've had some great church at home discussions and videos and whatnot. So, uh, but I'm excited to preach today and talk to you about, I'm going to be preaching from John chapter 5 verse 1. And, uh, you know, last fortnight we talked about how the book of John really can be summed up in one word, and that word is belief. John was writing the book of John in the, with, the, with the knowing in the back of his head as he's penning the words that he's writing to a group of people that were struggling with the fact of believing who Jesus says he really was. There were a whole lot of Pharisees and Sadducees that Jesus was talking and saying he was the that he's the Messiah. There was this rumor going around: this is the Messiah. These guys were struggling with that, and so John writes his book in a way that helps people and challenges people to believe. And I think it's a healthy thing to be challenged to believe in God. Uh, you know, like because uh, there's often we have every excuse in the world not to believe especially when we're going through stuff, right? We're going through something, we're praying about it, nothing's happening. And, and, and it's hard to stay in that place of faith. It's not easy. And we talked about this last fortnight, that faith is a decision. It's not just some, some kind of out there mystical thing. Faith is something that switches on on the inside of us. Our ability to believe is like a light switch. We just click it on. And sometimes it'll time out and click off on us and it gives us another opportunity to click on faith again. And so you will find in life, you will continually be brought to a position where you are challenged to believe again and again and again. And it's an amazing thing that God has given us that ability. That we aren't stuck in a certain way of life. We aren't stuck in a certain circumstance. We aren't just stuck in life. We actually can get unstuck. And the way we do that is by trusting and believing that God is able to do what He's promised to do in our life. So in John 5 verse 1, it says this. It should come up on the screen. It is, yep. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. For, the, for one of the feasts, the Jewish feasts. Now they think, you know, there's debate over what feast it was. Really, it probably doesn't really matter what feast it was, but some say it's, you know, one, one this feast, another says it's Passover. And, um, but we're not going to focus there today anyway. But, um, and it says, Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Beth, Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame and the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for as long as he had, or for this time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Would you say that to your neighbour right now? Just turn to your neighbour and say, do you want to get well? Maybe reframe the question and ask your neighbour, do you want things to change? Do you want it to change? Do you want it to change? Sir, 
the invalid replied. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me and gets in before me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. So he's going to kind of live in that passage today. Is that all right? Good. So we see that there's this, this place that people were gathering. Now, the place was a pool and the Bible talks about how this pool, um, you know, there, there was this uh, legend or there was this uh, discussion around this pool that, that whenever the water was stirred, that an angel would come down from heaven and that would stir the water. And whenever the water, water was stirred, the first person in would be healed instantly. Bang, done. Now, when you do a bit of study on this verse, there's, there's quite, you know, some differing opinions about what was going on with this pool. So some theologians say, yep, it was an angel from heaven. That's what it was. And it was a miraculous thing. And it happened sometime between the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus. And when Jesus died, it no longer happened anymore. Then there are other theologians that talk about how, you know, it possibly had some healing power in the water as in, as, as in um, it had minerals in the water because it would have been, possibly could have been a, a spring. And, and that was what was causing the water to be stirred is as a spring was bubbling up. And, and, and actually the, the pool itself, it wasn't a miraculous thing, but, but yet there was some kind of uh, maybe healing properties in the water from those minerals that come up that cleanse people or, or something like that. Um, but, you know, no matter what the story really was about, the, about that, that pool, like, you know, it doesn't, the issue is not really whether it was an angel or not. The fact of the matter was, is that people were gathering at this pool with a belief system that if they were the first into the water, they would be healed. Now, that could have been a legend. It could have just been some story that somebody said 100 years ago and, but, 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 and it's been passed down, passed down and spread and talked about and, you know, Chinese whispers. Who knows what Chinese whispers is, right? So, so it maybe started out that somebody did get in that water and they did have a skin condition or something and, 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 and when they got out and it went away. And that could have, could have possibly been, I'm not saying it is, but it could have possibly been the explanation on why they thought this pool was a healing pool. Other people have said, well, you know, it's at the sheep gate and the sheep gate in Jerusalem is where they would lead the sheep in uh, for the sacrifice. So, you know, they would, and, and that the pool was there to basically wash the sheep before they got out, before they went in to be sacrificed because they had to be cleansed. And so this pool was be cleansed. I don't like the idea of that, that pool because I'm thinking, you know, we've all seen sheep and the dags that sheep get and all the gross stuff that get on sheep. And uh, I'm like, I don't know if that water's going to heal you, right? So who knows? There's a whole lot of, that water's probably going to give you more sickness than it is healing. But Whatever the situation was, these people believed that whenever that water was stirred, if you could be the first one in, you were going to get healed. They believed that this was how things worked. This was the only way they thought they were going to get healed. Until Jesus turns up. And he comes into this scenario and he's looking around and he obviously had, the, you know, had, had um, taken the time to talk to people because he had found out that this guy had been there for so long, 30, was it 36 years? Was it 38? 38 years. I gave him a few years off. But you take out time he's sleeping. Anyway, 
So he's been there for 38 years, hoping that in 38 years he might get the opportunity to be the one to get in first. Now, he was an invalid, so an invalid, somebody that's severely sick, is incapable of moving some of them. So, so, the, so the fact he was even there means that somebody had to help him get there, right? He wasn't probably going to get there by himself. I read somewhere that, that they believe that maybe he had palsy and, and half his body was paralysed. So he only sort of had the use of one arm. Now, we, we don't know for sure, but, but just to think that an invalid, someone that it, it, they're incapable of being able to look after themselves. They have to have somebody help them. And so here's this guy and he's on, the, he's, on, he's on the side of this space. He's in this space and there's other disabled people around him. Now, some of them would have been severely disabled. Others would have maybe just had skin irritations and, and maybe a broken arm or whatever it may be. So not everybody was severely, you know, uh, Disabled. Some were just blind. Others were lame. Others, you know, like, so there was a whole lot of different conditions. And then Jesus walks into the middle of this situation. And now you'd think when Jesus turns up, what would happen is a healing crusade. You think, right, Jesus is in the sweet spot. He's just going to go, you, and you get healed, and you get healed, and you get healed, and you can get healed as well. Like, and he's just dishing healings out everywhere, right? But he doesn't do that. Which blows my mind that there's all these people there of all these different ailments and disabilities and Jesus picks one guy. Now, he might possibly have been the guy that's been there the longest. We would maybe assume that because they go, we get a time frame on how long he's been there, but not the others. But, but Jesus turns up and he starts to talk to this one guy. And, and isn't it funny when Jesus shows up, it was only one person that looked to him for the answer. Now, this guy wasn't sure, but he was, he was obviously intrigued by this man. He possibly could have heard the stories like some of the other people in the Bible that got healed, uh, healed heard, that, uh, you know, that, that Jesus had been healing people, this guy named Jesus, and all of a sudden, here's this Jesus in front of him. But the reality was is that, that everybody was focused on the pool. And they thought it was the pool that was going to be the answer. So when Jesus actually showed up, they just kept focusing on what they thought was going to be the way God would heal them. They got stuck on the fact that this is the only way God's going to do it. Which means they weren't, they, they didn't have their eyes fixed on Jesus. They had their eyes fixed on the miracle. And it's a big problem if all you ever look at is what God can do for you, but not look at who Jesus is for you. I wonder whether when Jesus showed up, if all these lame, blind people turned to him, whether maybe it could have been a healing crusade. But because only one person was, a, was willing to focus on Jesus, that he was the only one that got healed. Because the rest were like, no, no, God's going to do it this way. This is how it works. But that way doesn't sound like God to me. That somehow he will only take the survival of the fittest. So if you're able enough or you're good enough, then you get in. 
but everyone else misses out. That's not the type of God that I know. And it's funny when Jesus comes to him, he says to him, do you want to get well? 38 years. And instantly the man goes to, it's not my fault. It's not my fault, Jesus. Like I get here, but it's not my fault. Somebody else's fault. Somebody else is stopping me from getting healed. Because when I try to get in, somebody pushes in front of me. Somebody gets in the pool before me. He actually doesn't say that that person gets healed at all. He just says, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't get in. I, I get to the point. Here's the thing. He had enough hope and faith in himself to be able to get to the pool. But where that, that, that hope and that faith seemed to have a limitation that went from hope to hopelessness when he got there. He had enough hope to get there, but not enough hope to get him across the line. He had enough faith to, to, to know that, that, that he had to get to the pool. If he could get there, he could get healed. But he didn't have enough faith to get from the edge where he was into the water. And because he couldn't do it, he blamed others. It's not my fault. It's not my fault, Jesus, that, that I, I'm lame. It's not my fault. And you know what? It probably wasn't his fault. But the reality was he had his eyes fixed on the pool and it never had the answer for him for 38 years. Now you would think if you were stuck in a place 38 years, coming to the same place every day, hoping to get healed, hoping it's your turn this time, hoping it's going to happen. You'd think after 38 years, you'd be pretty savvy on how to get closer and closer and closer to that, that position you needed to be in. So all you had to do is just wiggle to fall in, right? That, that you would think, man, I would be living on the edge of that pool. I mean, I, mean, I, would, I would spread out. Like today, we, I was at home and I was reading my Bible in front of the fire. Lucy comes in, Em's got this new mat in front of the fire. Lucy likes to come in and lay on it, right? So she comes in and she sat down and she's doing whatever she's doing. All of a sudden, Jack gets up and she's like spreading out, covering this whole mat, right? And I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, oh, I'm just covering the mat so nobody else can, can get near the fire. So she was like spreading herself. I mean, fingers, legs, toes, like everywhere just so that no one else could get in, in that space. This is what I reckon this guy should have been doing. He should have been on the edge of that pool going, nah, there's no room. Put his leg out. No room, you know, sort of get his arm and flop it over there. That space is taken too. Sorry, I've got friends coming. Like, <laughs> you think after 38 years, you would have figured out some pretty cunning ways to get there, but he never did. And then he goes, I don't have anybody. But he must have had somebody to get him there in the first place. Somebody had to be putting, helping him get there every day. But yet, he's challenged with this question. And basically what Jesus is saying to him is, do you want things to change? Do you want things to change? See, we've all got things going on in life that we tolerate. 
we either blame somebody else for it or we look at why it can't happen. We have our excuses why it's not going to happen, why God won't do that. You know, we talked about last fortnight, the voice of unbelief. God can't, God will not, God is not. We've got this language that comes out in unbelief. God will never do that. God isn't doing it, so it's never going to happen. God isn't going to, he's not, he, he won't, he won't heal me. I've been out for prayer time and time again and still not healed. It's never going to happen. God doesn't heal anymore. That's where our thinking goes. The more we come out, the more we present ourselves to God and, and, and nothing happens, we feel like we're a failure. We feel like it's never going to happen. Then all of a sudden somebody else gets healed and now, well, how did they get healed? No, I didn't get healed. How did they get their breakthrough? But I didn't get my breakthrough. And I'm like, the worst thing you can ever do is compare yourself with someone else's. Don't compare your faith journey with someone else's faith journey. I mean, I don't even do it with my wife because I feel like a small little Christian and she's so much bigger than me and uh, she always gets what she wants from Jesus and I never get what I want from Jesus. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but it's like all of us or possibly all of us can have things in our life that we so desperately want to change. We so desperately want it to happen. And some of us have been praying about it for so long and we still don't feel like the answer's come yet. We, feel, we still don't feel like we've got the breakthrough. And we possibly could be wondering, is it ever going to happen? Is it ever going to happen? And this is the exact reason why John writes the way he writes. Because even in this story, in this occasion, there's still this feeling of John writing in such a way that the question is put before this man, Will you believe, despite every reason why it can't happen, will you choose to believe that it can? And that's what our faith journey seems to always come down to, is are we willing to believe long enough for it to come to pass? So here's this guy, he had enough faith to get there. He had faith to believe that it could happen. Of course he did, because he wouldn't have turned up at the pool every day if he thought it was never going to happen. So every single day for 38 years, this guy had enough hope in his heart to get himself to the place where the, where the miracle could take place and it's a possibility. And I feel like we can be a little bit like that. We come to church every, every time we get. We're in church at home, we're at church, we, we come to our Bible, we come to prayer every time. We have enough faith to know that we can come to God. But sometimes we get stuck in that place because things haven't worked out the way we thought they would, that maybe they'll never work out the way they should. We, we, we think maybe, maybe you know, I, keep, I believe, Lord, I believe, Lord, but help me with my unbelief. And the unbelief sometimes tries to overtake us. And we talked about this last fortnight, how unbelief seems to live in the background trying to get into the forefront. Often doubt lives in the background. It kind of lingers there trying to wedge its way in. And, 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 and so it's not so much about whether we doubt or not that makes us a bad Christian because all of us have moments of doubt. But it's what we allow that doubt to do that makes the difference. So if we entertain doubt and we allow it in, it's going to rob us of the promises of God. But then we can also, then we can have doubt and, and, and it can be seen as an opportunity to say, I choose to believe. So doubt reminds us to be in faith. And that 
in itself is not a bad place to be in. Because we know there's doubt there, but I'm not going to let doubt push my faith out. I am going to push doubt out with my faith. I'm going to choose to believe every time I doubt. I will use doubt as a reminder, as a wake-up call to remember that I have to trust God. So you're not a bad Christian if you doubt. You're not a bad Christian if you have moments of unbelief. What you're called is a human. Welcome to the world. You're a human. You don't have to be a superhero. None of us are. I wish I was Superman, but I'm not. I'm just not that person. I'm, I'm, I am who God created me to be. And sometimes the person he's created me to be has doubts. But I don't allow those doubts to rob me. I make a decision. I'm going to flick on faith again. I'm going to flick it on. Do you want to get well? There's another story in the Bible. I think I touched on this one last fortnight too. No, I didn't. Another question that Jesus asks when blind Bartimaeus, his encounter with Bartimaeus, Jesus is walking through and Bartimaeus yells out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on my soul. And everyone's like, shut up. Shh, you be quiet. Don't, don't interrupt him. He's important. You're nothing. And they tried to move on, but it says he shouted all the more to the point where Jesus stops and says, bring him to me. And so here's Bartimaeus. He gets brought to Jesus and Jesus doesn't do anything straight away. Now you would think Jesus can see this guy, right? He's blind. You can tell when someone's blind. You ever met a blind person? You know they're blind. Their eyes are just not there. Like they just, they, it's just obvious, right? So Jesus knew exactly what he needed. Right in the moment he knew exactly what he needed. But yet he asked him the question anyway. What do you want me, what do you want me to do for you? It's like, duh, Jesus, hello. It's like this guy on the side of the pool. Do you want to get well? Now, part of the reason he asked the question is because some people in those days didn't want to get well because they were beggars and they brought in a lot of money and that was their job and their source of income was to beg. So if they got well, they lost their income. But he asked them these questions and that's what I was saying to Terry before when we were talking. Terry said, oh, he asked a certain question of God today. And I said, don't you hate it when you ask God a question and he answers with a question? It's a little bit frustrating, like we were talking to Jess and Josh on the other night and we were talking about um, Carl Barron, right? And how, you know, like he's talking about how Aussies um, are weird because they, they don't answer the question the way you think they, someone normal would answer the question. So they go, well, how are you going? You go, yeah, not bad. So we tell them how we're not, not how we are. It's an Australian thing. How are you going? Yeah, I'm not bad. It's great. You know, it's a bit weird. I don't even know where I'm going with that anyway. But, but Jesus answers, he asks a question of us. And the question is asked here today, just like Bartimaeus was asked, what do you want? Is the question. What do you want from me? Do you want things to change? 
Because there can be part of us inside that has either given up or maybe we get a lot of attention because of the situation we're in and we don't really want it to change. Maybe it gives us some kind of satisfaction. I don't know. Like sometimes weird things like that can take place in us. Sometimes we associate our identity with the struggle. So because this thing that's going on in my life is kind of who I am. I've met sick people like that. That, that, that their whole sickness kind of is like their identity. And if they weren't sick anymore, who would they be? Right? So the question is, do you want things to change? That's the question here today. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you're going through, do you want things to change? See, there are people here today and you've been believing something and it hasn't happened. Partly in your heart, you've given up. You haven't said it to anyone. You don't. It's not like you verbalise it, but you know inside of yourself you've, you're sick of trying. Because every time you try, it doesn't happen. And Jesus' question here is, do you really want it? Do you really want it? And if your answer is yes, then the obviously the only response is, I choose to believe. I choose to believe that God is able to bring breakthrough in that relationship, to bring breakthrough in that situation, to heal that disease, to bring freedom to that situation, to restore that relationship, whatever it may be, whatever it is you're believing for, I had this thought, you know, that when we want from something from God and it's difficult, we get quiet. As in, we don't, we don't, we're going to talk about it. So I want this thing from God, but I'm not going to tell others. And I don't think that's a healthy position to be in when we aren't willing to talk. I'm not saying tell everybody, but we should have people in our world that we are connected enough to, to respond to that space and say, this is what I'm believing for. This is what I'm seeking God for. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm believing for it. I'm believing for that healing, believing for that baby. I'm believing for that breakthrough. I'm believing for that financial situation to turn around. I'm believing for that deliverance. I'm believing for my family member to get saved. I'm believing for something. But for some reason, when it doesn't happen, what we do is we go quiet and we stop talking about it. And maybe it's because we're scared of failing again. We're scared of the disappointment that can come with that. Maybe we don't want to look like, um, like, a, like a fraud before people. That because, you know, like if I say I'm believing for this thing and we pray about it and it doesn't happen and, and it goes on for some time, then all of a sudden I look a little bit kind of like, weird in front of people because it's not happening and so we we go quiet and sometimes we give up sometimes we go I don't think it's ever going to happen I think I'm just going to stop trying I'm going to stop asking God about this because I think it's a no but it's not a no it's a wait sometimes it can be a no but like I said last fortnight when God says no you know he says no it's pretty obvious it's a flat blunt no often what God says is wait but the longer we wait, the wait 
turns into a no, we go, oh, it must be a no. But God's saying, no, I didn't say no. You said no. You've given up. And the worst thing you can do is give up on the dream. Don't give up on the dream that God has put in your heart. Why? Because unless God has said no, then don't give up. And if he said no, get another dream. Don't leave dreamless. Don't leave promiselessness. That's my education coming out. I'm not a smart man. Don't give up. You know what I'm talking about. So do you. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information about C3 New Hope and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au.